You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Right, it's a real uh, privilege to come and speak to you. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could get 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul was the radical convert in the New Testament. He was the firebrand that wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. He had such a big mission, he knew he couldn't do it on his own. And so he got a, a team together to get involved in this God-ordained program. Now, at the end of his life, he's writing to one of his team members, a guy called Timothy. He's considered a younger man. We think he was 40. He was a bit timid, and he's giving some advice about the church in Ephesus, which is where Timothy is based. Paul had been there for three years, got the church going, but the church has now hit some tough times. And so Paul is writing to him in this sort of leadership style, and we've been looking at the month of August at different titles that Paul uses to his, his, his team, Timothy. The first one is, you are a son. And we understood something about discipleship and authority. And actually, as sons, we, we have a relationship with God, but we also have a relationship with one another. There's no such thing as isolated believers. The second title we looked at is, you're called to be a fighter. We live in a battle, a spiritual battle. And Paul's writing to this, this young man and saying, come on, I want you to fight. The third title we looked at was, you're a man of God. A man of God who, who flees from the sinful things of the world and pursues God. I don't know, are you a fighter? I, I, I'll be honest, I, I'm not a great fighter. When I was at school, I, you know, I've never been a big lad, and uh, I was a little bit cheekier, and I used to say to the guy, hey, do you want to fight? Meet me at the school gate. If I'm not there, start without me. Yeah, that, that was as close as I've got to a fight when I was at school. In fact, one time I was walking home with my brother, and this guy who was a boxer sort of walked up to us and obviously you know, smacked me on the face, and I thought, shall I just fall over? It's no point. I can't fight him back. I just walked on. I mean, that's the level of my fighting abilities. But I have heard Eye of the Tiger from the film Rocky III. (laughs) And if we're really honest, I wondered if 1 Timothy was put to music, whether that would be the background music. See, most of us would know that. I have a target. It just gets us pumped. We're ready for a fight. When I ran the London Marathon, they played it to us at the start. You know what I'm saying? We thought we could do anything. (laughs) I feel that there's something of that kind of challenge to us today as we end this series. We're going to be looking at the title, The God. Watch carefully. I think, hey, actually... This is something that it's not just Paul writing to Timothy. This is God saying something to us. The verse that we're going to be looking at, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20 comes here. Timothy, God, what has been entrusted to your care? Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. That was from the New International Version, the ESV. This won't come up. I'm just going to read this to you. It says, O Timothy, God, the deposit entrusted to you. 
The message, which I don't believe is the Bible, I believe it's a translation of the Bible, says this, And oh, my dear Timothy, guard the treasure you were given. Guard it with your life. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us. Lord, we believe these words are your words. We believe all scripture is God-breathed and therefore is useful and, and corrective for us today. Lord, as we look at this passage, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we go away different. We don't believe we can be in your presence and stay the same. So we ask that you'd speak to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. The reality is that life impacts you. I've just been on holiday, and uh, if you're in the town as a white Englishman, you often end up looking something like this. The reality is you can't go to the beach without being impacted. The reality is you can't live in London and choose to buy a bike without going for a fixie. Although there's lots of gears around, we like single speeds because that's what you do when you live in London. If you're over 40 and you want to look trendy, you go to Superdrive. Why? Because we're impacted by our society. If you're 20 and you want to look hip, you grow a beard. Because we want to be impacted by our society. The Bible challenges us and says, are you on your guard? Now, even that, we take that word, you will impact that, 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 that the age you are will influence the way you think about that word. Let's be honest. If I say the word God to a family, you think of a fire God probably. You think, how do I keep my kids safe? If I say to an American, you probably think footballer. How do I guard the ball? If I say it to a teenager, your parents probably think, right, God, you're beginning to smell. Put some on. If I say it to a man in his 20s, you think moustache guard. Yeah, I've got a picture of a moustache guard. I don't know if you're aware of these things. You can get them. You can put them on your beard so that when you have a drink, you don't get beer all in your moustache. Is that really what we think about when we think about a guard? I think a guard is used to keep you safe, and a guard is one to keep close. But actually, I don't want to look at any of these pictures. I want to say, how does the Bible interpret the word God? Is it just a one-off thing? Have I just gone to 1 Timothy and thought, oh, great picture? No, actually, I think this is all through the Bible. These are going to come up here. You may want to jot them down. You may want to look them up at home. In Acts 20 and verse 31, Paul is heading to Rome. We know that there's going to be trouble ahead. We know that he was in a court case. We know that he's appealed to Caesar. He's meeting with the Ephesian elders on the beach. This is almost like, what are my final words? He says this, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He's not thinking about himself. What's he saying? He's saying, look, if you're a believer, be on your guard. If you're a Christian, be on your guard. We know that when he wrote the letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this was a church that was in a big city, a big sinful city. To Corinthian eyes was basically to get involved in sexual sin. He writes to the church and he says this, Be on your guard. Stand firm. Be courageous. Be strong. 
Oh, wow. Oh, Pete, it's not just one verse. No, we could see this right throughout Scripture. The book of Proverbs is in the Old Testament. It's not a book of promises. I believe it's a book of principles. There's like kind of Proverbs, often from wise people like Solomon, though not all. But even in the book of Proverbs, we get this sense of, come on, you must guard. What must you guard? It says in Proverbs 4, verse 13, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. So it's almost they're realizing, come on, there's a battle going on. We are impacted by life. What are we going to guard? Are you guarding? Do do we think about that even when we think, oh, if I'm going to follow Jesus... Would this be one of the titles you'd have chosen? The prophets, there are many prophetic books in the Old Testament. They're often men that heard from God and spoke out God's word to the nation. Malachi is the last recorded book of the Old Testament. And he says this in Malachi 2 verse 15. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him, body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And and so there's this constant picture coming. Come on, if you're Christians, are you on guard? Do we think about that? This is, as I say, it goes the whole way through the Bible. And in some respect, we could have looked at many, many more verses. I've tried to pick some of them out to say, oh, here's a clear theme. When Jesus gathers his disciples to him, he gathers the twelve, and and the whole purpose of them gathering to him was so that they could be with him, so that he could send them out. And we read about it in the book of Matthew. He says, actually, you twelve, I want you to go out. I don't want you to carry a load of stuff. I want you to go in my name. You're going to see some great things. But he also says this in Matthew 10, be on your guard, because you will be handed over to councils and flogged in synagogues. And so there's almost this commissioning and there's this excitement and there's this part of this journey and this story, but he also comes with be on your guard. In fact, when he's teaching, Jesus is teaching the disciples at the end of his life. And he's saying to them, look, this has been amazing. We've had three incredible years. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, water's turned into wine and you've seen me walk on water and we've raised the dead. And and actually, this is not the end. I'm coming back. But then what does he say to them? Mark 13, be on your guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. There's almost this commissioning. Actually, if if you're to be a believer, if you're to be a Christian, you've got to be on your guard. In fact, he even challenges, not just about times. One time he's talking to the crowd, this is Jesus. And do you know what he says, what you've really got to be on guard about? It's not all the bad out there because it's so easy, isn't it, to say, oh, it's the bad out there. He says, it's the bad in here. He says in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So I would say that there is this biblical principle that Paul is writing to Timothy that I'm looking at for us today. Be on your guard. I sometimes worry that our mentality has changed. I sometimes think that we've let our guard down. I had to try and get it in here somehow, Guardians of the Galaxy. The third film has been delayed. 
internal fighting is what I'd put it down as. They've sacked the director and the actors are saying, oh, we don't want to guard the galaxy anymore. Then wouldn't it be tragic if we stopped being on God because of internal strife? Wouldn't it be tragic if Christians stopped saying, actually, I've given up Godding, but actually I'm just going to squabble with you over how loud the music is or what song we sung. Paul is desperate for his team to be on God. There are three letters that are considered the pastoral letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. 1 Timothy 6 is what I read to you earlier. In in 2 Timothy, his his follow-up letter, he says this, 2 Timothy 1 verse 4, God, the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's so important to God. He's basically saying that there is a thief that wants to rob you. It's so easy to get complacent. I was thinking about this. You know, godly men throughout the centuries have, have, have shouted out the same principle. George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a great evangelist. He went all over the place telling people about Jesus. Many would say that along with the Wesleys, he was the founder of Methodism in the 1700s. This is like two and a half, yeah, 250 years ago. He said this, the great and important duty which is incumbent on Christians is to guard against all appearance of evil. To watch against the risings of the heart to evil and to have a guard upon our actions that we may not be sinful or so much as seem to be so. He was saying that you've got to guard your life in such a way, not that you don't sin, because obviously we're going to guard that, but guard your life in such a way you don't even have the appearance of sin. Whoa. I mean, that's sort of a double guard, isn't it? He was saying that if you really want to be this radical, and these were radical men, he was saying that you've got to guard yourself. Charles Swindle, he's a pastor, an author, a radio preacher. He says, I am here today to warn you to watch out for the adversary. Guard yourself from any spirit of entitlement. Restrain any and all subtle temptation to gain attention or find ways to promote yourself. Like scripture, he was saying, guys, today our danger is that we're caught up in entitlement. I deserve. It's my right. We chuck out the Ten Commandments which is about God telling us our responsibilities, and we take on a charter which says, it's my, it's my right to have a church that serves me. It's my right. And actually saying, guard your heart. William Wilberforce, who many of us, if, if I say that word to you now, we say, oh, he was the guy who got rid of slavery, wasn't he? Or part of the team. Now, some would say there's more slaves today now of sex trafficking than was even alive then. But he was the English politician, and he said this, Of all things, guard against neglecting God in the secret place of prayer. So why do we pray throughout the month of August? Why? You know, we, oh, come on, surely we want to be relaxed. We pray because we guard ourselves in the place of prayer. There's something about, you know what, I'm going to come and I'm going to seek God. I'm going to come and I'm going to seek God. Really? Charles Spurgeon, he was considered the prince of preachers. He had a church in London, I think it was of 2,000 by the age of 21. He, He actually died in his 50s, a young man. But he said this, Lord, keep us from sin 
Teach us how to walk circumspectly. Enable us to guard our minds against error of doctrine, our hearts against wrong feelings, and our lives against evil action. He would say, oh God, keep me from sin. I think, oh, am I guarding my life from sin? Sin that so easily trips us up. Craig Rochelle, he leads the church, Life Church in America. Some say it's the largest church now. When I had a look on their website this week, I lost count of the amount of sites in one place, and then there's the amount of states that they're also in. He said this, If the seed doesn't get planted, it can't become a toxic thorn bush. We must guard our minds and hearts, starting with our eyes. Cool, what do you look at? Because what you look at gets in your heart. And he's saying, actually, if you really want to start by guarding, start by looking at your eyes. What am I seeing? What am I dwelling upon? As I'm preparing this preach myself, I think, what do I need to guard in my own life? The first thing that came to my mind was my heart. Because when I get hurt, I don't want to forgive. I'd like them not to do well. I think, oh God, guard my heart. Help me to forgive. I think, if I'm really honest, what do I need to guard in my own life? I probably need to guard my own tongue. I don't think I've ever been as academic as my two brothers, but I'm quite quick with humor. And it makes me look good for a minute. But I'm not always so good. It blesses others. I tell you, what do I have to guard myself from? I have to guard myself from being independent. I don't need anyone else. I'll just do it on my own. After all, I'm English. My home is my castle. Stay away. What about you? If the word guard comes, what do you think you've got to guard yourself against? How do you feel even when I challenge you on guarding? I don't think it's a sort of real hipster thing to do. We like the new and we like innovation. We don't want to get stuck in a rut. Let's be honest, why do we want to guard? I mean, do we appreciate what we're guarding? As I said, I was never a boxer, but I am of the age that Muhammad Ali was my hero. I fly like a wasp, I sting like a bee because my name is Muhammad Ali. They reckon that the reason he lost when he got old is because actually he didn't guard himself when he was boxing. And when he was young, he was so agile he could get away with it. But the older he got, his guard dropped and he lost. I think sometimes our danger is we can almost think, oh, we're like the hero. I'm saying, oh, I don't need to guard. And we can get away with it for a while. And then suddenly we can get taken out. We get lazy, ignorant, tired about the fight. So if I go back to this passage... What do I think Paul was writing to Timothy and the team about guarding? Well, I, I know that uh, Yvette, when I listened to her preach this week from a couple of weeks ago, said actually it was a situation where now we, we describe it as Gnosticism was emerging. They were very much caught up in knowledge. So it didn't matter how you lived, it just matters what you knew. 
And this was some of the battle that Paul was writing to. So people, they, they had, do you know, there was a discussion at the time about how many angels you could get onto the head of a pin. Oh, let's have this knowledge. Do you know, at the time, the Greeks so loved discussions that they would turn up at courthouses just to watch sort of debates and discussion. And, and you can read in 1 Timothy, it talks about false doctrines, it talks about controversies, it talks about malicious talks, it talks about constant friction. And so I guess partly he was saying, look, I want you to guard truth. Funny, isn't it? We're waking up to that in our society. What is the impact of fake news? Oh, yeah, God, how many elections have been swung? God, how do we guard actual truth? How do we know what to believe anymore? I guess another thing when I was trying to read the passage saying, what was he saying that you are to guard for? I'd probably talk about money. Oh, God, it's church. It's a little bit awkward, isn't it? 1 Timothy 6 is the verse that many people do know. Money is the root of all evil. Is that right? Oh, it's the love of money. That's right. Of course, you're a pastor's wife. You'd know those things. It's true, isn't it? He said the love of money is the root of all evil. And so throughout this passage, we can see he talks about people that have fallen into the trap of getting rich, the temptation, who've pierced themselves with grief. And I guess there is a challenge. I I read a book on holiday. I enjoy reading. I find Consumer Detox, it was called. Slightly ironic as I'm deciding which flavor ice cream to have. (laughs) Where, Where would we eat next, you know? But I think if I'm really only honest, what's my heart like when it comes to thinking about money? How much time do I give to getting it? How much thought do I plan on spending it? How many dreams do I have that I have more of it? I'm sure that Paul would have wanted to warn his young companion, guard against the love of money. I don't totally know. But I think when I look at this, I'm not sure that this particular verse was even going for knowledge or for money, although I think they're both biblical things. I would like to suggest that Timothy is being asked to guard something that has been deposited with him. In fact, I I don't read Greek, but I have read several commentaries this week, and all of them agreed that it was like somebody's lent you something of value. They have gone away. Whilst they've gone away, will you look after it? One of our neighbors has actually gone on holiday, and they actually came around this week, and they've given us their laptop and a a savings box. I feel really tempted to have a quick peek, but you know, they want me to guard it so when they come back, I can give it back to them. They're worried the house could get broken into. Could you keep this safe until we come back? That is, they feel the word that Paul is writing to Timothy about. Look, you've been entrusted with something. You've been given something. Guard it. I would like to suggest that what Paul is telling Timothy to guard is the gospel. The gospel. That actually what's happened is you've got to understand, Timothy, all these pressures are going on, life is happening. What I want you to guard is I want you to guard the gospel. This is a deposit that has been given to you. Not to be kept, actually, but to be spread. You see, the gospel, 
I've often said this, it's, it's four words to me. It's creation. The gospel is this, that God has made us, therefore God is the boss. Therefore we're to give an account to him, therefore God knows best. Oh, if I guard just that thought, that challenges me on so many other things. Where do you think sex is best? In marriage? Well, I'm not sure I like that. Oh, but oh, the gospel says you're in charge. Oh, I see. So if I understand the gospel, it changes everything else. But if I, if I don't like this, I could be tempted to dilute or distort the gospel. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, guard the gospel. The gospel is the fact you're created. He's the boss. You give an account to him. The gospel, point two, is the fact that there was a fall. Adam and Eve chose wrong. Bad choices spoilt relations with one another, each other, God and ourselves. That's really offensive even today. Let's be honest, you know. Last time I was here, we had three baby dedications. And most of us, if we're really honest, you know, the babies are thinking, oh, aren't they lovely? You know, but actually I should probably walk up to the parents and say, you know, that baby's a sinner from birth and they're in trouble. You don't teach them to do wrong, they're just born with it. It's not quite the thing that we say, is it? But actually, sometimes that is what the gospel's about. You see, we'd like to believe that actually things will get better and better. We'd like to believe that we're better than maybe people who lived 100 years ago because we're evolving and we're improving. The gospel is actually we're more hopeless sinners than we dare admit. and He's a greater saviour than we could possibly imagine. And what he's saying is don't dilute the gospel because otherwise you won't accept your need of him. And so somebody says, oh, do, do you need God? No, I don't need God. I think I'm all right. Because they've not accepted that they've fallen. They've not accepted that they cannot make the standard. So the gospel is creation. The gospel is the fall. The gospel is the fact that we are unable to save ourselves, but he redeems us. Why do we sing so much this morning? Because he died in our place. He lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserve. His punishment. Why do we? Some of us will know there's another man that stood on trial at the same time as Jesus. Barabbas. They know that he was guilty. Pilate said, look, which one shall I let go? The crowd was stirred up and they let Barabbas go and they killed Jesus. And you think, it's not fair. The guilty went free. And then I think, but that is me. That's the gospel. And the fourth word I would describe the gospel, I would say creation, full, redeemed, is that we are restored. We are restored so that we know peace with ourselves, with others, and with God. So why do we get excited about praying for justice? Because we're called to bring something of God to earth. We're called to restore something. We're not called just to sit in and have a nice meeting and think, whoa, that was great. We're called to make a difference there because we're called to be salt and light. We're called to make a difference in this world because we want to bring something of the restoration of God. In fact, I think Paul was so intentional about the gospel. There are only two of his letters. This is one, I think Galatians is the other one, where he stops almost like... End, I mean, if you read, it's literally one verse after what I said, grace and peace be with you. Every other letter, he goes, oh, 
Nicky wants to send her love, and Sandra does too. And oh, by the way, Emmanuel says, how are you all doing? You read all of his letters, and he's got that. But he hasn't on this one, because it's almost like this is so intense, it's almost put the letter down, and they'll go do it. There's this, this is cool. No fond goodbyes. This is an urgent task. Are we those that think, do you know what, I'm going to stand for the gospel? Or have we been so impacted by the society that we live in? We think, not sure I want to talk about there being one God that we're given account to. Just like to end because I know that can seem very harsh. I read more than one translation at the beginning. I read the New International Version because I believe often that's an easy one for us to access, particularly if English is your second language. But actually, they reckon in the passage, the NIV has missed out one word. It's O. And they reckon that when Paul was writing to Timothy, he wrote with tenderness. This is not meant to be a harsh message. It's meant to be a tender message. Oh, Timothy. (laughs) You can almost hear it in his voice. Oh, Timothy. God, I love you. Timothy, you're my son. Oh, Timothy, God, God, this truth. And I believe that reflects something of the Father's love for us. Actually, what he wants to say is, oh, 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 I love you. I've given you this truth, God, this truth, but I'm for you. This song that we were singing around, look, I had it in my notes before we were going to keep singing it at the end of worship. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I believe that we're called to be sons of God. We're called to be those that fight. We're called to be men and women of God. We're called to be gods. Because we serve a God who loves us and fought for us. We serve a God who was prepared to send his own son to die for us. Who literally sweated drops of blood and then poured his blood out for us. So when you're called to guard this truth, we're not the hero of the story, he is. But we can come back and say, oh, God, would I be? Would I be on this team? Please, could I be entrusted with this treasure? And I've not let it be diluted or distorted on my watch. Amen.